This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Invested. I'm Danielle Town. I am so happy today to be joined by the extraordinary host of Secrets of Wealthy Women, Veronica Dagger. She is also a Wall Street Journal reporter and the author of this fantastic new book called Resilience, How 20 Ambitious Women Used Obstacles to Fuel Their Success. And we have her on because she's amazing, but also because we want to know all about resilience and as investors, how we can come back from problems that we've done to ourselves, from problems in the market that we have no control over, and how to handle these setbacks. So Veronica, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Danielle. It's really excited. And it was so fun to have you on the Secrets of Wealthy Women podcast. We, I think that was earlier this year, right? Um, it was, yeah. It was yeah, so that was a blast. We did the uh, millennial money sort of edition of it. And yes, I, by the way, just sitting in that room with you and those other women, I learned so much about what to do with my money personally. It was extremely helpful. So oh, me too. I just, I'm sort of in awe in how much you must have learned from talking to so many interesting women over the course of doing your podcast. How long have you had the podcast? About two years now. So not even that long. And yet you have this book out. What made you um, decide to actually put down these stories into the written word? Well, we were hearing from listeners of the podcast that they just wanted more from us. They wanted the podcast, but like, how can I delve deeper into these stories that we're hearing from women that are so inspirational? You know, is there another way to access this information? And so we kept hearing this from listeners. I would get tweets, I would get emails over LinkedIn messages. And so it's like, oh, how about doing an ebook? Because the journal is trying to do more ebooks these days. And I proposed it and, you know, it got the green light eventually. And we were just trying to find other ways to connect with the audience. So whether it's an ebook, um, we just started a video series based on the Secrets of Wealthy Women podcast. We have oh, Snapchat. Fun. Yeah, it's really fun. It's Snapchat series that just started. And so what we're finding from women is that they just want more. And we're trying to address that need. Like, how can we give you? more of that same content and added value to that content sort of elaborate on what we've done already, add more detail, add more information, and so other people can benefit and enjoy it. Why resilience? Out of all the qualities of these extraordinary women, how did resilience become the one that you wanted to focus on? That's a really great question. So when I was thinking about the book, I was like, well, what is the through line for all these women's stories, you know, because some of them are very famous, some of them are incredibly beautiful and accomplished, and you know, some of them are inheritors, other ones have started their own business. I think the commonality, though, was no matter where they came from, no matter what walk of life that they're from, they had to have some element of resilience in order to achieve their level of success. You so, really saw that over and over, that they had to yeah. pick themselves up. And I was super surprised because, you know, I, I've seen a lot of these people in the media and I was like, oh my gosh, she is 
no, she looks like she's always had everything together. She knows what she's doing. It looks like everything has always gone her way. But when I started to do the research for the podcast and also the book, I, I would find that like, no, actually she's had some to overcome some personal obstacles, some career obstacles, some financial obstacles. Like these are all things that average people like me, you know, me and you, well, you're not average, Danielle, but like, I was going to say, know. you're not average, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty sweet. But like, you know, just like a typical woman would have to overcome. And so I was like, wow, I think that's so important to share that because when you're up from the outside looking in, it's so easy to be like, oh, she's got a great life. Everything always goes her way. And reality, no, like sometimes things can really go badly. <laughs> but the ability to come back from that is, is what differentiates the women who are sort of successful from the women who are like super successful is being able to take those punches or, you know, take those knocks and spring back up sooner than later. I mean, this is something that I've been thinking about a ton because I was just in uh, Denver, Colorado, visiting some friends and a bunch of my friends are in startups and kind of investing in startups and being in startups and generally in that world. And so it's a lot of failure all the time. And, And, you know, I was telling them about my newsletter and my podcast and all the stuff I have going on and all my failures and investing. And, and we all just sort of sat there and went like, God, you know, nobody really knows what they're doing ever. No, no. Do you have no. that feeling from talking Completely. to successful, like people who we would say, oh, they have it together. Do you have oh, yeah. No, so much like it's like, you know, I, some of these events I've been to I was recently at FinCon and they had some very, you know, well-known people there. And some people like, you know what, I, I was just kind of making it up as I went along or, you know, yeah. I... or. You know, and even like if you think about like the stock market and you ask investors of what they're doing and it's like, oh, well, you know, how does she or he know more than the other guy? You know, some of it, it's, it's just like really good timing, really good guesses, some educated guesses, but it's, we're all sort of making it up, whether it's in our, um, our personal lives or careers, we're just all trying to figure it out. Absolutely. So what was the most intense failure that you put into the book <laughs> and how did they pick themselves up from that uh that very deep hole well you know barbara corcoran who you know from cnbc and from shark tank and she is this incredible woman she's so much so much energy and so much focus but she had the corcoran group which is you know a real residential real estate company in new york city mostly but then it branched out around the country but the corcoran group as it became, it almost failed, almost went bankrupt seven times, she told me. She was seven on the brink. Times? Yeah, she was on the brink. She said she was on the brink almost seven times. And, wow. you know, and, right. And wow. as you know, she went on like years later, I forget what year, it was like 2000 and something, 2001 or something. She sold the business for like 66 million, you know, and now she's like this famous um, TV commentator and she's, you know, super respected. I mean, she's always been very respected in the business, but the fact that she came that close that many times as an entrepreneur, but was able to somehow pull ahead, pull it out and save the company, save other people's jobs and make it work, I think to me was really, I think that shows a lot of resilience. And with her, she's fascinating because she grew up in a situation where her family, she came from a big Irish family Hmm. and they didn't have a lot of, they didn't have a lot of money. The parents were often just struggling to pay the bills. And so from her background, she grew up 
almost always on the brink of poverty and and perhaps bankruptcy. Like her parents were very, uh, very, you know, sort of working class and things were tough often. And so she went from, I think that that's a benefit for her actually, because she grew up from not having a lot. And so this idea of like losing everything and the risk you take in entrepreneurship and this thought of bankruptcy wasn't as scary to her because she was used to just not having a lot to begin with. And she knew that, right. You know, she knew if she could, she, if she lost everything, she could somehow figure out a way to make everything back again. Like she did that as a kid. She'll, she can do that as an adult. And so, you know, you don't really think of like, oh, there's a, uh, you know, an opportunity in growing up poor, but several of the women I spoke to had very humble beginnings and that those humble beginnings helped not only motivate them, but also help them not be so afraid of the risk of entrepreneurship. That makes complete sense to me to mm. have your baseline be uh, nothing, let's say to, to simplify it. Right. But like, let's say your baseline is nothing. If you lose your business and you go back to nothing, well, all right. You didn't right. That much, right? You just had an opportunity to make things better and didn't work out that time, but maybe the fifth time it, it'll work out. Oh, it didn't work out the fifth time, maybe the sixth time, maybe the se- oh, the seventh it, time we got to 66 million. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And That's like you wild. stayed with it, you know, you, you, you know, you have that courage to stay with it and yeah. it'll be okay. And you have that faith, you have that confidence and that, that knowledge of your abilities. It's not an arrogance, but it's just a confidence that you'll be okay. Yeah. I do see that in some investors who are by all worldly standards, extremely successful and have large amounts of money under management, professional investors who have large money, Mm -hmm. large amounts of money under management and the fear of losing that money and thereby their social standing and right. their standard of living maybe and the people who they have access to and who respect them and the mm-hmm. that they might no longer be in and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That fear can make you make some bad decisions. And if you have that, you have so much more openness and a- a- availability inside to be courageous. Totally. And I think it really comes down to knowing that you are more than your bank account or your investment account. You are more than your business. You are more than your social standing or the house you live in. Like there's more to you as a person, as a woman, than what these external, you know, exterior trappings are, so to speak. Like that, that's not fundamentally who you are. And if you realize that, I think the sky's the limit. Hmm. I was really struck by the story of Melissa Francis, who's a reporter, and her sort of origin story was that she wanted to be a newsroom producer, I think it was, and and um, and then got a job and then got fired from that job within a few months and had nothing. And so she started driving up and down the East Coast in a rental car, trying to just get literally physically into the door of a TV news station to hand them their her resume. And so she would lie that she had a meeting with the rival station. <laughs> So that they would say, she would say, oh, I'm in town to meet with them. I'll just drop off my resume. And they'd go, oh, okay. And 
she did that for months. And what really struck me, because when you're living this, you don't know how long that's going to go on. It could right. be for a year. And for so it went on month after month after month. And she said it took six months before she finally got hired. Six months of that. That's right. But in those months, God, how much torture and uncertainty there must be. For sure. Yeah. It's like about being uncomfortable with that uncertainty. And again, like knowing you're going to make it, but I loved her story. I thought it was hilarious. And, but evidently that's a, a thing that people do when they're trying to get a news reporting job is that they will use that strategy and be like, Oh, so-and-so across town's going to meet with me. Um, you need to meet with me too. And I'm like, really? That's okay. And she's like, well, yeah, because as a reporter, you need to show that you're creative and aggressive and inventive. And I was like, all right, well, I guess, you know, inventive uh, has varying degrees, right? Yeah, um, right. Um, you know, and as you know, as you know, she's like this in, in super successful anchor on Fox Business and Fox now, and she's got several books. And so she didn't let that one time of being fired color her entire career. She could have just you know, packed everything up and went home to California and just be like, oh, you know, believed what that producer had told her, like, oh, that she'll never make it. And she was like, no, that's that's not going to be my reality. I choose to believe that I'm going to make it and I'm going to show you. And she did. Yeah, I loved what she said. I even copied it. So I'm going to quote her. She said uh, she realized that this is not the quote yet, but an important part of recovering from a career setback is to set a new and bigger goal and then take just one step forward. So quote, you don't have to make up for the setback all at once. Don't even map the whole route to recovery. Who knows what will change along the way? Rather, tackle the recovery one step at a time to build back confidence and endurance. End quote. I love that. So I love great. that because it's so detailed. Like... Yes. Yeah, because you can talk about resilience and about getting through failure, but like literally when you wake up, how do you make yourself go back out and try to get your resume through the door? So the way she did it was one step at a time over and over and over. So smart. Yeah, just take it step by step. And then I think that path becomes clear because if you don't see the whole chessboard, if you just see that one move ahead of you, just take that one step, make that one move, and then the rest will start gradually unfolding. And she's a perfect example of that. She's a Harvard grad and she thinks very strategically and very, um, very sound in terms of her reasoning, and, um, but also very approachable as well. Is there anybody you talked to who failed and didn't end up succeeding? Is there anybody who failed at something and just threw in the towel and said, then I switched to something completely different? Um, that's a good question. Well, uh, I don't know if necessarily it's just completely different, um, but Mary Higgins Clark, the famous uh, novelist, she had 60, sh- 60 short stories rejected. Uh, oh, she kept wow. writing and writing and people were like, oh no, you're a terrible writer. You're too superficial. Like they, they would basically back in that day, editors would write back almost like insulting things to people when they didn't accept their pitches, evidently, based on what um, Mary said. And she, but she just kept going. She kept, you know, she kept failing, kept getting these rejection letters, kept piling in. And then, you know, I think at one point, the, uh, she was writing these short stories that weren't getting accepted. The short story market dried up because evidently it used to be a thing where in various magazines, um, you, 
you would read short stories. Anyway, so her her friend, I guess, who was also her agent at the time said, you know what, why don't you give up on the short stories and pivot to novels, start writing books? And she was like, all right, I can do that. You know, she's again, confident in her ability. She knew she was a good writer. She ignored all the naysayers. Um, and she put together her first novel. It was a historical, historical fiction. It did okay. Not so great. Um, and again, some people were like, oh, I don't know if you're so good at this. And then she decided to do her next book, which is more of, you know, has some mystery, romantic elements. It became a runaway hit. And hmm. the is history, you know, so she went from this failed short story writer to this like worldwide best-selling multi-multi-million dollar paid author that everyone knows um, because she didn't give up and because she pivoted though. Yeah. That's the key to know how to pivot properly. Uh, and as you were talking, I was thinking, God, it's so hard to know which advice to listen to. Like which one's exactly. the one you go, yeah, you're right. Short stories might not be the thing I'm going to switch to novels. But the guy who said that I'm a bad writer, nope, I'm a good writer. Like how do you know? Yes. Or, or do you need to go take writing classes? You know, like how do you right. know which stuff to listen to and which stuff to not? I think so too. You know, I... Some of the women I spoke to, many of them I spoke to said gut instinct has plays a role in their success. Now you can take what you want from that in terms of applying that to investing, but you know, in terms of career, in terms of life, gut instinct um, plays a, a part. So for example, they know when their gut they're going to be successful. They know in their gut that um, they can make it that's what they listen to. Now, if there's like some external things like, oh yeah, maybe you need to switch your strategy or switch your focus. Yeah. Then, um, that's something different, but that's not an attack on like fundamentally who you are. It's pivot, but don't give up on your core right. competency essentially. Totally. So I have to ask, cause I noticed as I read it that there were no investors included in this book. Was that because yeah. there's just hardly any women investors out there? Or? That is definitely a part of it. You know, there isn't a lot of high-profile female investors out there, sadly, still. Um, I'm not, you know, there's various reasons for that, but... Um, I'm on changing it, Veronica. Talk I love that. Years. I think that's awesome. I think that's really, really great what you're doing. So important. So yeah, I'd love to see more female faces, you know, and, and also for the podcast too, we, we generally haven't shared too many uh, stories of financial women in finance. We may be changing that slightly, uh, but we wanted to share a broader array of women. In the, on the podcast on Secrets of Wealthy Women, we did have Sally Krawcheck when we first launched and she, um, oh, you know, she... Elvest. Yeah, Elvis, right. She started her own uh, female-focused investment company. She used to be the head of, um, remind me, was it a, yeah, Bank of America or Merrill Lynch? And then uh, I forget where she was, um, maybe Smith Barney before that or what was used to be Smith Barney before that. And, um, you know, she shared stories on the podcast about being not only being the only woman in the room as an investor, but also being flat out harassed. Like really, yeah. I mean, she would come to work, and uh, at the time, I think she was in sales and trade trading. So she would come to work in the morning, and on her desk would be Xerox copies of some guy's genitals. You know, it's just. Oh my I mean, I'm because it's just so insane when you think about that. Um, 
it's just like, how is that possible? But she, she would crumple it up and ignore it. And then just kept, she kept going. But I mean, there's not that many, I don't want to say there's that, not that many, but it's a, it takes a very special type of woman to be able to completely ignore that and keep powering through. And obviously she didn't completely ignore it. She, all these years later, she still remembers it and was still traumatic, but being able to keep going, even though you are up against that sort of, uh, opposition. Now I, I hope, um, that sort of thing isn't happening to young women on the floors of uh, trading floors, if they still exist. But, um, you know, I, I think hopefully Wall Street is working to change some of this, but also there's several women I still speak to and off the record, they will tell me it's not always easy being mm-hmm. the only woman in the room still. That was my next question. How many women investors actually want to speak publicly about the stuff they've gone through and the ups and the downs? Because investing is kind of this weird world. It's like it's like in the business world, talking about your failures and how you overcame them makes you look good. But for investors, somehow having any failures makes you look bad. People don't like to talk about it that much. No, they don't. I think it's more, yeah, more of a sensitive subject. Yes. And so part of it is there's not a whole lot of women out there who could be a good fit for my show. Part of it is maybe they don't want to necessarily be uh, associated with that failure publicly. And then I think also it, um, one of the things I've been trying to change over my years in terms of reporting on women and wealth and, and personal finance is I don't have a whole lot of women who are in the financial industry pitching me. Like I get pitches all the time from guys and those guys representatives, but, um, maybe in the last year or so, I'm getting more pitches from women saying like, Oh, I'd love to be on your podcast or I'd love to be included in a story. But I think that's slowly changing, but it, I feel like it's still, women are just pretty behind in general in terms of promoting themselves. That's really interesting. It's interesting. And I think it could be also that they already, you know, and people have told me this off the record that like, they already feel like they stand out as the only woman in the room. And so then if you get quoted in the Wall Street Journal or you go on Secrets of Wealthy Women, you are bringing more attention to the fact that you're the only woman in the room. And do you want that to be your quote unquote brand? Do you know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's that tall poppy syndrome, but exactly at large because the tall poppy syndrome is if you stand too tall, you get cut down and you don't want to get cut down. That's right. And would you say that's true? You see that particularly amongst women who are professional investors, not so much the women who are in business. Exactly. It's very finance specific, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, I think other industries that potentially have been more friendly to women don't necessarily have that same um, issue. I think entrepreneurs definitely don't have that issue. I think entrepreneurs know they have to be the face of their brand. They know they have to be out there hustling for whatever coverage that they can get because they need to sell and they need to represent and they're not afraid. So even those entrepreneurs who are shy, I see them, you know, they're coming on and they're pushing themselves to have these conversations with me, even though I know some of them would rather just be low key. Um, they are 
you know, getting out of their comfort zone and talking to us. Yeah, they have to. They have to. to. The only way that they can sell what they create. But Mm -hmm. investors can sell what they create in a different way. So maybe that also attributes some some of that sort of don't want to put my name out there too much kind of thing. And also the banks, I mean, a lot of the, you know, talking about big firms, they have massive PR infrastructures and those public relations folks are very specific on what they want their people talking about. And they're 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 very, very specific, very specific, you know, that, and they're very controlled and I'm not going to give people the questions ahead of time. Like if I'm doing a profile piece on someone, if it's a profile piece, we don't give anyone any heads up other than like, what's your money secret? Um, Just because it's their story and they should know their personal story. Mm -hmm. I'm just sort of struck by how, how different that is. And yes, how controlling banks are about the information that people are putting out there. So why would you set yourself up to be in a situation where you could potentially say something that's going to get your boss mad at you? Exactly. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. It's just not worth the risk. It's just so... It's so... As like... As somebody who wishes I had more women to look up to in this investing world, um, especially when I was starting out, and all I saw were... My father, first of all, a man, my brother-in-law. These are like men in my life who did the investing in our family. My father, my brother-in-law, my uncle, all men. When we started talking about investing, it was Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, the greats, of course, and then many Mm -hmm. other greats, all men. It would have been so nice to have a woman there in that list, somebody to see like, oh, she's doing it and she's doing it in a way that is true to herself and might be a little bit different. How do you think we can encourage more women to come out and talk and, and, and be beacons for those of us coming up? That's a really great question. Um, you know, some people will say it starts at a younger age, like so getting to the women when or the girls when they're in high school or even before that and encouraging them to pursue financial professions and getting into the schools and the colleges and incentivize them to be part of investment clubs. I know there's a couple companies, you know, sponsoring investment clubs and, and bringing their female portfolio managers to go speak to the investment clubs to show, you know, give a role role model for those girls. Um, I think getting, you know, and there's, there's some statistics on this. I wish there was a lot more, but in certain fields like wealth management, asset management, in general, there doesn't seem to be an issue in getting women in the profession. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think where the issues lie is getting them to stay. Um, and you know, so they'll do a couple years and for various reasons, sometimes it's personal reasons, you know, caregiving type reasons, they'll leave because the hours can be super demanding. Um, but for other reasons, such as you mentioned, they don't have a a woman to look up to in the C-suite. They don't see a path. It makes them want to leave because they don't see an option and they keep hitting their head against the same wall. Um, so how do you get, I think the, the question I'd like to see explored more and I'd like to explore it more myself is like, how do you get the women in the middle to stay? You know, 
it's probably a combination of things. It's, it's, you know, everything from like childcare to mentoring, to sponsorship, to maybe, you know, flex hours to, I I don't know. Um, I completely agree. It's a mixture. It's going to be all of those things. Yeah. And I think also that there's such a huge gap between the assets under management that women have and the assets under management that men have. I mean, it's like something like 2% or 3% under women. And having that lack of people being willing to put money under management um, controlled by women, I think is is also partly like these women who are sort of coming up or in the middle are looking ahead at what their careers can be and don't see it. And it's mm-hmm. not necessarily a matter of having role models, but it's reality. It's how am mm-hmm. I going to get people to put money with me? And right. they're not seeing that it's happening. So... Um, to me, that's a huge gap that we need to overcome. And, and people are starting to talk about it now, which is a really good thing. And at least right. aware of the problem. Um, there's a fantastic group in Silicon Valley of VCs, women VCs, who have started consciously making sure that women are pitching to other women entrepreneurs are pitching to other women VCs and making sure that they're consciously getting in front of the people with the money. And I think that the invest, the um, professional investing world could definitely do more in that sort of vein. Yeah, I think there's definitely more to be done. And, and to your point, like I can't imagine how difficult it is to be like, so it's rare to have some of these women in higher level roles, but not to mention like, women of color, like we, you know, Carla Harris on the podcast. I mean, I can tell you, I can literally count on one hand how many female women of color there are in senior roles at the banks or in the financial firms. I mean, I think it's that much more difficult for women who, who in that situation and how do we help them and rise, help elevate them as well. Well, I think the work that you're doing is a huge part of it. I mean, just putting this book out, which I really enjoyed reading and getting to just see like literally woman after woman on the page was, I mean, their stories are great, but just having that representation alone, it just really struck me as I read it, how successful each of these women were and that there's these threads that run through their stories of going through failure, of having setbacks, of getting fired, of losing money, of going bankrupt, and then picking themselves up and going forward over and over and over and over. And see, like reading it like that next to each other. Yes. It really struck me. Oh, thank you so much for reading. I, I really appreciate it. And I, I, I'm glad it was inspiring. And I, I hope you know, that's the goal to inspire other women as well. And men too, you know, it's a, it's a book for guys. I mean, I had several, one of the most rewarding thing is I had several women write to me, but I also had several guys to write to me too. I had one man who is a CEO of a publicly traded company, write me like a, a three paragraph email saying how much the book helped him because he is not only a dad, but he is a mentor and a sponsor to several women within his company. And this gave him greater insight into some of the challenges they're facing. And he's going to adapt some of the way he's mentoring because of it. And I was like, okay, this is something, this is the goal, right? This isn't just yeah. a women's issue. This is, we're all in this together. 
we're all in this together. Yeah. And I'm so glad you said that because uh, sometimes men kind of become the enemy and I have had such wonderful male mentors in my life. Absolutely. And not just in investing, but in my previous life as well as a lawyer. Um, and I'm so grateful to them. So I hope that men feel like, like they have a huge role to play because they really do. Completely. And I feel the same way. I've had so many great um, male mentors and I was close with my dad and, you know, all these things um, really shaped who I am as a woman. woman. And so I absolutely want to celebrate the guys who are out there helping women. And I do believe there are a lot of them out there who have great intentions and want to see things change. Even younger guys too. You know, I see that within my newsroom. I'm really encouraged by that. Do you think that the book would have been a little bit different or had different advice if you had included men's stories as well? I mean, I know they're not from the podcast, but you had included some. Do you think it would have been different at all? I think there might have been some slight changes. Um, So, for example, and, and this is a generalization, but there was some element in the book of women talking about so called mom guilt, mm. like making those decisions between how much should they put their foot on the gas for their career versus how much should they be home with the kids or other. Yeah, their, yeah I noticed their, that. Yeah. Yeah. A few of them mentioned a nanny and a few of them specifically did not. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I don't know. I think there's some guys, I'm I'm sure there's some guys who feel that, that sort of tug, like, where should I be? Where should I put my energy? But I've just noticed anecdotally that the women feel that this is a, a bigger issue for them. Um, so, you know, I think we put advice about that. Uh, another, key theme that um, came in some of the profiles was the whole sexual harassment, sexual assault issue. Now, there's guys who obviously are um, victim or survivors themselves of these issues, but in general, um, sadly, women are still dealing with this in a, in a pretty major way. I think the last part is um, the the pay gap issues. Like several of the women have faced pay gaps um, and we talked about their stories and trying to have them negotiate for more and get acknowledged for the work that they're doing. And that's still like very hard work for many women. Even women at the top of their game are still fighting these battles saying like, Hey, I'm doing amazing stuff. Like pay me the same as the guys. And it's just, it's just crazy that in 2019, we're having these conversations, but it is still very much an issue. Yeah. I'm glad we're having these conversations finally. I think they've been secret for so long Mm -hmm. and and it's good to have them out in the open. And I hope that that makes them start to lose some of their power. I hope so. I hope so too. It's a really deep book. It's really good. And the best part is that it's free if you're a Wall Street Journal subscriber. Isn't that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a Wall Street Journal subscriber and I just went to um, Wall Street Journal Plus, right? And and found it there. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So go to Wall Street Journal Plus and... Um, Look up Resilience, the ebook. You could subscribe to the WSA Secrets of Wealthy Women podcast as well. That would be amazing. That's um, you can hear more of the stories. We put a fresh podcast out every week, and um, that's free on WSA.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever your favorite 
podcast provider. So <laughs> thanks for letting me make that plug too, Danielle. <laughs> a really good show, you guys. And thanks. how else can people find out more about you, Veronica? On Instagram, it's um, at Veronica Dagger. Same thing at Twitter. And yeah, and we also have a, a Secrets of Wealthy Women video series on WSJ.com too, which is free. Our video carousel is free to anyone, even if you're not a subscriber. So if you go to WSJ.com and, and look for video, you'll be able to access those videos, uh, which is different from our articles. You have to be a paid subscriber to um, to access the articles. Of course, we'd love for you to be a paid subscriber too, um, especially if you're in the investment field. I would imagine a lot of your listeners already are. But yeah, the, those videos will give a, a little bit uh, different take on the podcast. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here with us. Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.